That's right. So there's one last gift that I want to give you. And uh, I thought to myself as I was preparing this week, you know what? It's Christmas. And um, what what should I give from a pastor's heart to the people here in the church? And, and I thought about uh, an abbreviated message, but then I thought, uh, you know what? We're going to do that on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock. It's going to be an abbreviated message. And then the Sunday after that is going to be shortened because it's the day after Christmas and everybody's in here together. So for Christmas this morning, I'm just going to give you the whole dose. All right? We're going to talk for like, yeah, amen. I'm just going to preach till something happens and uh, we'll see, okay? But if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And I'm going to get right to it as we talk about this morning the gift of rest. The gift of rest, which you will see here in the scripture. We'll read together starting at verse 25 and finishing at verse 30. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Lord, I thank you for your church, for putting us together. I thank you, Lord, for this morning where we can celebrate generosity and fellowship And God, we thank you, Lord, for how you have given of yourself and sent your pure and perfect son to live a life that we could not live, to show us how to live, to die a sacrificial death in our place for a death that we could not give ourselves. And Lord, in all the power of God, you raised from the grave to give us hope of eternal life. And that is the good news. And Lord, that is our greatest need. And I pray we realize that today as we preach and listen, learn, and follow. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus is actually frustrated. He's frustrated and he's disappointed. He's disappointed because following his display of power and the truth of God, man still doubted. Before the crowds, he had come to save. He had displayed the miracles of God right before them. And they were like, yeah, we see what you're doing, but we're kind of good with what we've got already. And they doubted and they didn't believe. And in verse 25, Jesus, frustrated and disappointed, prays. Because when you pray, you get perspective. And the perspective that Jesus got when he prayed to the Father is this. It is right that God should honor those who honor him. It is right that God should honor those who honor him. Understand this. God, as the scripture says... Thank you, Jesus said, for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. God does not conceal his truth from people. He conceals his truth from people who think they are God. Did y'all hear me? Now, those who think themselves wise and clever, up against what God has revealed, to those, he conceals his truth because those who think themselves wise and clever up against God and their conclusions 
while they rank those above God, well, that must mean then that you are God. If your conclusions about who God is and your conclusions about how the world should work are above those of what already God has revealed, then that must mean that you see yourself as a deity. Now, we may not say that out loud, but if you disagree with God, then you must make yourself divine. But you should know God has no rivals. Now, you see, God is not concealing the truth from those who are smart. God conceals the truth from those who are smart Alex. And God does not mind your questions. But God could, would, would conceal the truth from those who would reject his answers. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And Isaiah chapter 5 verse 21 says, What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. And with this perspective, Jesus says, thank you. Jesus thanks God for the perspective given that God conceals or keeps secret his truth of salvation from those who think that they've got it and they know how to get it within themselves or within another false God. And so what is this truth and why is Jesus thankful for it? Jesus is thankful to the Father for concealing the truth from those who think themselves clever because that is just. That is just. How is that just? Well, would it be fair for God to impart salvation to those who think he is unfair? Would it, would it be right for God to impart salvation to those who think that he is exclusive? Would it be just for God to impart salvation to those who group him in a category along with other false gods? Well, to those who all reject the way that he is made or even be indifferent to his power and love? Is that just? As we have read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. We are not dealing with somebody that is on the same level as us. We're talking about God Almighty. So what God says goes. Again, he's not afraid of your questions, but the truth will be concealed from those who would reject his answers and be wise and smart in their own eyes. Well, what truth does God conceal from those who are wise in his own eyes? The truth that he is God and man is not. The truth that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and man is not. The truth that God is holy and man is not. The truth that God is mighty to save and man is not. And because of this, God owns the terms of salvation and man does not. Now, this is the point to be made. God's salvation, being right with God, is not for those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are a mess. Those who know that they need a doctor, who know that they are sick with sin. So if your heart is open today, and if you are in need of the truth of God, you are in a great place to be saved, sanctified, and sent. Today is a good day to be here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus says that he is thankful to the Father for concealing truth from those who are wise in their own eyes because the wise and the clever in their own eyes, they never understand this. But it's interesting, children sure seem to get it. Because children don't arrive at the laws of nature in their heart. Children arrive at a creator. Children don't question the fairness of God when recognizing their own sin. They arrive at their, their need for a savior. Meaning, children don't trust their intellect. They trust their heart. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus said, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the Father 
except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus identifies Himself as the Son of God. And this is not an unusual claim because He did this often. He spoke of God the Father as His Father 51 times. And in one of those 51 times, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 29, I know Him because I come from Him. Jesus claimed that He shared the same nature as the one true God. And not only did he share the same nature as the one true God, but Jesus claimed that he shared the same purpose as God. Now, y'all, this is some kind of claim. It's some kind of claim to have the same nature as God, to say that you are, in fact, divine, because to say that means that you are saying that you are all-powerful, everywhere present, all-knowing, and that you are eternal. If you go around throwing out that you are the Son of God, then you better back it up with these displayed characteristics. And you better prove it or you'll be proven crazy. But the power of Jesus is on record and over time. Amen? Jesus, His knowledge of men's thoughts, His expressed power over the physical world, His authority over the spiritual realm. Jesus raised the dead. And Jesus is still working on our hearts through the power of the Word of God. And not just His power, but His character. You see... If Jesus claims to be the Son of God and have all the divine nature of God and can still pull off the power of God, it also means he must pull off the character of God. So if there is just one ounce of bad in Jesus, then he doesn't have the nature of God. But the Scripture says that he is the spotless lamb, that he knew no sin. The Scripture says there is no darkness in him at all. And so the nature of God is in the nature of Christ. So Jesus, with the same nature of the Father, the Bible says, has everything entrusted to him. Jesus has everything, the whole knowledge, full knowledge of God entrusted to him. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus has the mind and the message of God. It means that Jesus has the work and the will of God, the power and the presence of God. And because of this, when Jesus came to their town and when Jesus performed the miracles of God before their very eyes and when Jesus taught the truth of God, they should have listened. They should have received it. And when the gospel is preached, so should you. Sadly, many then did not. Many now do not. But you still can. But you still can. As the words of Jesus, our living God, who sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. As the words of Jesus still make their way into our hearts. As the Spirit of God still convict of sin and the righteousness of God, you still can. Jesus said this, no one truly knows the Father except the Son. And, here's the hope, and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Meaning... Jesus, the Son with the divine nature of God, who is God, knows God the Father, knows the will of God, the purpose of God, knows that God is able to save and will save you. Because the Scripture says, except the Son and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So not only can the Son know the Father, but you can know the Father through the Son. Now, who does the Son choose to reveal the Father to? The childlike. Thank God for kids. Amen? The childlike, those who would humble themselves. Those who would arrive at faith before they arrived at themselves. Now, up to this point, Jesus had presented his credentials. Jesus had projected his power over the people. 
And he was rejected by man. And so he was frustrated at the stubbornness of the people. But as he prayed to the Father, Jesus was thankful for the justice of God. And while you may expect his tone to be one of judgment as you move forward into the next few verses that we'll cover, in fact, his tone is like a cool breeze in the hot of summer. Because listen to what Jesus says in verses 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you. Now, I want you to hear that. Come to me, all of you, who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In, in these few verses, what Jesus does the Son of God, with all the nature and the power and identity of God, tells us who we are, who He is, and what He can offer. Now, the first thing He shows us here is who we are. And the Bible says that we are weary and heavy burdened. Some of you don't have to look too far to know what that means because you're living in it right now, and I'm glad that you're here to hear the Word of God. But in this audience, as He is speaking to a Jewish culture, the burden of this audience was actually the culture. Because within this religious culture, they were heavy laden because of the excesses of traditions by the Pharisees. And they were governed by rules. Some of you are still governed by the rules that your mom and daddy set. The rules that your community set. The rules that you've learned from all different kinds of places. Not yet knowing the order and the standard of God. But you are still going by what you've been told. Not even checking up to see if it's right, true, or not. And so in this culture, everyone was underneath the thumb of the traditions and the thumb of the rules, not without, not weaving with the heart of God, but just the rules and the standard of God. Not the grace of God, but the truth of God. And Jesus said that these rules created by the religious leaders in Matthew 23, 4 crushed people. With unbearable religious demands, never lifting a finger of the leaders to ease their burden. And not only did the rules govern people, but they left love out. And these traditions and these rules, when people were sick and hungry, they wouldn't allow them to work on certain days because you were lifting a finger on the Sabbath. And so the heart of God was left out. Only the rules of God, the rules that were meant to show us that we can't keep the rules. And when you can't live up, listen to this part. When you can't live up to the expectations that you put on yourself from others, and you can't live up to the expectations that you put on yourself even from the standard of God, when you are hurting without hope and no one seems to help, what do you get? You get weary and heavy burdened. And this is who we are because we all experience brokenness and weariness at some times. Years ago, I was... <laughs> Working out. I feel like every time I mention working out, I go, years ago. <clears throat> but hey, New Year's coming, right? Who's with me, all right? But years ago when, when I was working out, I remember going into the gym and, and doing bench press. Well, you don't do bench press by yourself because if you do and nobody's there to spot you, then you can get caught up real quick in a bad situation. Now, who would be dumb enough to go in and do that this guy so I, I get over to the bench press and and I start going I mean I'm like man it's going great 
And then all of a sudden those triceps and those chest muscles say, nope, just like that, and locks down, and that bar comes down on me. And for about two seconds I thought, well, I'm going to heaven right now, right here in this weight room. <laughs> going to die as this bar continues to slowly backwards up towards my throat, right? And thank the Lord, thank the Lord for a guy who's sitting there watching me look like a dummy, and he goes, I got you. And he walks over here and lifts it up off me and is like, Man, if I'm you, I don't do that again. You know, like just a weightlifting tip here by yourself. But think about that. We've all been in these situations, not like that specifically, but where we are heavy burdened and a weight that we are carrying, whether it be spiritual or physical, there's nothing that we can do but struggle. There's nothing that we can do except feel bad about it, writhe within it, and struggle until someone came and gave me relief. I was weary and heavy burdened in that moment. And someone came and lifted the weight off of me so that I may live. What is the weight on your soul this morning? What is it that is bearing down on the immaterial part of you that is conscious to God? What is it that is, it needs to be lifted? Is it the burden of sin? Y'all, we've all got sin from the pastor to the prisoner. We are all separate from God when we remain in our sin. We may say we're a good person and we've done good things, but they don't measure up to a holy God. Come on, y'all. You can get there with me on that. What is the burden that, that weighs down your soul? Is it unconfessed sin? Is it ongoing sin? Is it the consequences of those sins? Is it the stress of things that are outside of your control? For some of us, we're not dealing with our own decisions. We're dealing with decisions other people are making. And the wake off their boat has rocked ours. And now we're having to deal with what you're doing. And we can't do anything about it because we're in that hell circumstance, that family circumstance. We're in those things that we can't do anything but except worry about it. Is that the burden that's on your soul? Is it the weight of your weakness? Maybe you are a Christian you realize that your sin's been forgiven and you're in this unbroken cycle of sin and shame, confession and forsaking. Sin and shame, confessing and convicting. Let me tell you, that'll wear you out. Because God did not only free you from the penalty of sin, He freed you from the power of sin. And the Spirit of God lives within you to free you up so that you can live forgiven and in a better way. Is that what's weighing on your soul? Y'all, if it ain't one thing, it's another and because that's who we are. As we are looking at what the Scripture says about who we are, we are weak people. We are broken people. We are often hurting. We are limited. We are burdened. The best people I know need Jesus. The best people I know. Because this is who we are. And we all together learn who we are and who we are not and who God is. And God tells us who He is. He says in His Scripture, I am humble and gentle at heart. Jesus, with all the knowledge of God, the nature of God, He is God, says, I am gentle and humble at heart. What this means is that He, the living God, now think with, think with me on this. Jesus, the living God, is accessible in His character. Like you can get to Him, you can't approach Him. You can. This is who the living God is. There's a wonderful scene in A Christmas Carol. When Ebenezer Scrooge is sort of converted at the end, y'all remember that? And he, he is, he has had an awakening and he goes and he hangs out with his nephew and they party and then he goes up to set up one of the, one of the best kinds of pranks because it works out good in the end. 
but he's going to prank Bob Cratchit as he walks into his workplace the next day. And when he does, he's about 15 minutes late. And if you've seen the whole thing, Ebenezer Scrooge is all about that time and money. And when Bob Cratchit walks in 15 minutes late, he does so to avoid Ebenezer Scrooge. Because if he ain't approachable at five minutes till, he's certainly not approachable at 15 minutes after. And so he makes his way to his desk and sort of inconspicuously sits down to avoid him. And then he hears the sound from Ebenezer Scrooge, Cratchit! He walks in. He says, what do you mean by getting here 15 minutes after the hour? And Bob Cratchit says, yeah, the time got away from me. And I'm very sorry. I was celebrating Christmas Day. It went long and late. And Ebenezer Scrooge says, you're exactly right. Time got away from you. And do you know what I'm going to do? Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a raise. Merry Christmas. Jesus is not waiting for you to be late. Jesus is preparing to give you grace. Gosh, take that with you today. We have this picture that God is sitting there ready to strike us down as soon as we confess. But what he's really wanting to do is give you a raise. Merry Christmas. This is the heart behind our Savior and God. I am humble and gentle I am approachable. Oh, no, no, no. Now, God's not going to let you slide. God's going to deal with sin, but by his own admission, he is inviting you to salvation and sanctification to, yes, once again try to get it right. And, yes, right now, even if you've had thoughts before and back and forth, he's inviting you right now to be saved. And when we humble ourselves as a child in need who will receive his help, we can get to him, talk to him, call to him, cry to him because he cares. Jesus held conversation with the the woman at the well, a social outcast. He sat there and talked to her back and forth. Jesus went home with Zacchaeus, a notorious sinner who people would not even believe that Jesus would go home with him. Jesus was sitting at dinner with a tax collector who was only inviting him there to question him. And while he was there, a woman of the night came and she bowed before his feet and began to weep like a child who had done something wrong. And she cried and as she cried, she wiped the tears off of Jesus' feet with her hair as she presented him perfume and he accepted it. He is humble and gentle at heart. Go to him. Go to him. You see, Jesus has the power and the authority to treat us like the rebels we are. But by his own description, he is understanding in character. Therefore, open your life to him. You may say, I know, but I don't know what to say. and I don't know what to do. What does it matter? He's humble and gentle at heart. That's the thing that I love that I've learned this week. I've sat before men that have told me in my office, ready to call on the Lord to be saved. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. What does it matter? He's humble and gentle at heart. Admit that you're a sinner. Ask for forgiveness. And tell him you believe in him and want to follow him. The best way you know how. He is humble and gentle at heart. This is who he is. Now, this is what he offers to you. And the first thing that we see in the scripture is rest. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
rest would have struck a chord with this Jewish audience because they would have heard that before. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of security and safety. Now listen to this. Y'all, I'm telling you, this one verse of scripture right here, you can read it out loud and I can send you home, but I'm not going to. But you can read it out loud and, and, and it will grace and truth all in saying. This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah 6, 16. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road that we want. You're at a crossroads. You have a path that's rest for your souls. And those that God has called to salvation say, no, that's not the road that we want. God offers rest to us. And this is not a physical rest, even though you have been given or will be given bath salts today for a heavenly soak. That is just for an illustration to what we are speaking of. This is not about physical rest. Y'all, you're going to have to take control of your schedule, and you've got to schedule your own time and balance it all out. And there's principles in the Word of God to help you with that, but that's not what we're talking about today. What we are speaking of is rest for the soul, because that's what Jesus said. You will find rest for your souls. When you find rest for your souls, you'll also find rest in the physical things that we do. But this is speaking of the immaterial part of us where we are burdened and we have stress and we have worries. The part of us that we are concerned and confused and convicted and this rest that Jesus can give is the permanent relief in the present, the principles, and the grace of God as we believe. Even Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 says you won't get this rest if you don't believe. I will give you rest, the Bible says. That means that rest from God is a gift. It's God's peace for the soul over your sin debt. The debt that's been paid, the weight of sin, all the weight of sin has been taken upon the Lord Jesus himself. That's how we are rested and receive relief because Jesus took for us what we could not carry. It is God's peace for your mind that what God says is true and what he promises is true. This is the rest that God can give. When the decision was made to postpone in service or postpone in person services here at Lindsay Lane a couple of years ago now, whenever it's been, I've tried to forget, right? But when the decision was made to postpone in person services here at Lindsay Lane, my wife and I were in the mountains. And we had broken away for her birthday. We're in a cabin in the hills, secluded, solitude and relaxation and we were in a physical position of rest but we were in a spiritual position of stress an emotional position of chaos one phone call turned into 10 phone calls one text message turned into 25 one piece of information led to another one decision turned into another it all came down while we were there and we were in the mountains which means that there is a poor signal and so we drove down the mountain and Brittany and I sat at a Dollar General for two hours on the phone in this relaxing trip just so that we could have a phone signal to make decisions about what we were going to do here. Calling, working, thinking. That was truly one of the most stressful times of our life together. Newly making decisions that would affect the lives and the spiritual lives of many. But while we were there, I realized the truth by the shirt that I was wearing. Caught up in all these decisions, 
and all of these things to think about and on the phone with 25 different people. And Lindsay Lane East and the student pastor there gave us a T-shirt that said, Be Steady. And underneath it said Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. As I am doing a video to send to you about the decisions that we've made for in-person gatherings and how we're going to navigate that, it hits me of the scripture that God has put in front of me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So in the middle of all that chaos and stress is rest and the truth of God and the promises of God. Straight paths and rest for the soul. I want y'all to hear me this morning. You can seek out a quiet cabin in the mountains. And you can try to find that old blue chair by the ocean waves. You can seek other relationships. You can seek another job. And you can seek another location. But if there's no rest for your soul, it won't matter. God's grace and his truth provides some kind of relief. Get it. Go to him. Peace and knowing and being and in whatever situation that you are in, God is with you and in control. That'll get you through the day and on to the next one where you get to trust him again. What he offers is rest. What he also offers is another harness. Now, what in the world are you talking about? Well, it says yoke. And I think we're probably more familiar with the word harness than we are yoke. And a yoke or a harness is something that you carry that's attached to you, that is attached to something that you are pulling or that is pulling you. And Jesus says for us to trade one in that we have for the one that he'll give. You see, when you get saved, you're not free to to just live however you want to live. That would be the craziest thing that could happen. How many of us need somebody to tell us what to do? I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand up. We're all followers. Even if you're a big-time best leader in here, we're all followers. We all follow something or someone. Outside of Jesus, we follow our flesh. We follow the culture of the world. Or we are under submission to other things and, and to its direction. But when we call on the Lord to save us and lead us, because y'all listen to what I just said. Call upon the name of the Lord. When you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, you're not just calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. You're calling upon the name of the Lord for his lordship. For him to take you over. Because that's what he knows that we need. And we know what we need. And when we call upon the name of the Lord to save us, save us, we are casting aside one harness and trading it in for another. For the lordship of Jesus. And we are no longer being pulled by sin and self and the world towards death and separation. We traded in that terrible harness for one attached to the Lord. And his burden is light. And he has carried the full weight of our sins so that we don't have to. And now we carry the weight of obedience. We carry the weight of going where he's going, of following his feet, of using our hands and feet for his purposes. That's the weight that we have brought on ourselves and the harness that we have traded for. But here's what comes with that harness. Grace and strength and encouragement and comfort and a whole bunch of folks to go with you. That's what we traded one for another for. It's not a bad burden when it's attached to Jesus. We need a harness that pulls towards the Lord. And while that harness is going to require some spiritual sweat, the burden of following Jesus is not hard and heavy. It's easy and light. 
when compared to following yourself or any other religion. What would you rather haul around? The weight of your sin and the consequences and the indecision and the uncertainty? Or would you rather carry around obedience to the Lord that comes with grace? Finally, what he offers, rest, harness, and instruction. The Bible says, let me teach you. You see that, Jesus said? Let me teach you. Y'all, if, if there's a one-line sermon, it's right now. When Jesus says, let me teach you, what he's saying is, let me show you another way. Let me show you another way to do it. Let me show you another way to approach your family. Let me show you another way to approach your job. Let me show you another way to think that you're saved. Let me show you another way to deal with the stress in your life. Let me teach you. If you are at this point where you think, I can't keep doing this. If you're at this point where you think, I don't know what to do. You turn to his word only and often. Turn to God. Come to me, he says. He says, let me teach you. Let me show you how to suffer well. Let me show you how to endure. Let me show you how to cast your cares. Let me show you how to live and think about the future. I can remember my dad teaching me to do one thing or another growing up. And he would always say this. I can hear, I can hear it in my voice. I can hear it in my head. Daddy would say, here, son, let me show you. And he would say, just like that, every time. Here, son, let me show you. Do you know what let me show you means? You're going to have to yield so that I can. You're going to have to stop so that I can start. Let me show you is exactly what Jesus says here. He says, let me teach you. He will not force himself on you. You have to lay down your will for his and take that harness that he is pulling you by every single day. Because that word let means I have to yield and trust that his way is better. And every time my daddy would say, son, here, let me show you. My pride would say, no, I got it. No, I got it. I can see myself, I, I can take myself back to this time where dad showed me like here, this is how you use a hammer and he's hitting it correctly and I'm taking it and I'm not. And he's going, here son, let me show you. And I'm going, I got it, I got it. And I'm turning that nail all kinds of sideways and not in the board. Why would you do that? Because I got it. I run things. My way is better. For God to teach you, you're going to have to let him because he's not going to work himself over you. He shouldn't have to, for he is the Lord God, the Lord of heavens and the earth. This is who we are. This is what he offers. And this is who he is. And this is why he says, come to me, all of you. Come to me, all of you. Remember what he just said? He just said, that God would reveal himself to those whom the Son would choose to reveal him. And then in the next few verses, he says, come to me, all of you, all of you. You see, this is a free offer for all who would humble themselves and believe. And notice that the invitation, notice that the invitation is, is not to a church. The invitation is not to a denomination. The invitation is to a person. Come to me, he says. This is not to a pastor. It's not to a culture. But come to Jesus. 
Salvation is turning from sin and turning to the person of Jesus. For I do not have the nature of God within me. I am not the Son of God. The deacons here are not the Son of God. The church here is a church, a part of a kingdom work. It's Jesus that's who in charge of this place. It's Jesus who is the way into salvation. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Turn from yourself and turn to God by placing faith in Jesus. Let me close with this illustration. As a kid, I remember making my first F. Anybody? Nope, just me. Got it. There we go. Some in the back. <laughs> Your son just raised his hand back there, man. Brody Wise, I love you, man. That was great. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. I remember making my first F. Uh, it was awful. It was awful. I, I, I can see it. It had white paper at the top, was a big red marker with an F circled, like circled. I was like, man, like this, they're not playing games. They wanted me to know I failed for real. And, and I thought to myself, well, this is bad, but I don't want to take this grade home. Because at home where expectations are high and they should be, my word, that's not going to be good. So in my wise little mind, what I decided to do is instead of taking that F home, that I would just get this bright red crayon. And alongside that F, I would draw a line on the right side that would turn it to an A. Well, you know... That took my parents about five seconds to realize what had been done. And then, you know, my family gets a hold of this and Christmas time, that's when your cousins and uncles come around and your name was AJ and now they start calling you F.A. and that's how it goes. <laughs> and that one didn't catch on. So my parents, needless to say, had, had figured me out and there was discipline and all those kinds of things. And you may think to yourself, well, how did that go? Well, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still here. So are my parents. They didn't destroy me. You know why? Because they love me. And it would have been better for me to go on and go to them with it, with the truth, rather than to try to cover it up. And rather than to try to live in shame or act like it didn't happen or like I didn't have any faults or flaws, but I tried to work within myself to fix it when I should have just gone to them. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, there are consequences for sin, but God ultimately addresses that sin with his life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus was sent to provide grace and truth for our bad grades, our bad days, our bad thoughts, and our bad decisions. But he gives grace to the humble. And to those who would position themselves low and dependent upon God like a child, he'll give you all of himself. So go to him. Go to him. At church? Yeah, at church. At home? Yes, at home. Every day, go to him. Only and often. Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's stand to our feet.
I want to thank you for being here today as our worship team is making their way up to, to lead us in worship to close out the service. I want you to know that we're here to help you understand what that means for Jesus to say, come to me. If you need to be saved, if you want to join the church, if you need to be baptized, we have people, I'll be standing right here. We have, we have decision counselors that wouldn't embarrass you for anything in the world. They, they want to talk with you and help you. We have people that are here for that. And that's why we give an invitation because we don't want you to go home without help. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you when I've blown it so many times that you are willing to hear from me. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, for your heart, for being humble and gentle and lowly. Lord, I thank you for the burden that you give us that is better than the one that we had. Lord, we need you to lead us and be Lord over us. And I pray today, oh God, if as, as you are working in the hearts of people, Lord, I pray that we would step away from where we are standing and come and let somebody help us, Lord. And I thank you, O oh God, for being willing to not treat us as rebels, to, but to make us children of God. And we love you and thank you for sending Jesus into the world and for Christmas and all that it means. In Jesus' name, amen. Altar's open for you.